Early on in his career, Hideo Kojima was asked to take over a development team that was tasked with making an action game that featured modern military combat. You see, war games were popular at the time and his employer, Konami, wanted to cash in on all the hype. But Kojima doesn't make the same games as everyone else, even early on in his career. From the get-go, he set out to make something very different. Inspired by the movie The Great Escape, Hideo Kojima initially sought to make a game in which a prisoner escapes. And though the concept may have changed some, the result did not, and with that, Metal Gear brought the stealth genre into the mainstream. Today we're going to look back at Metal Gear and talk about the early career of its creator Hideo Kojima. So stick around and join us for today's trip down memory card lane. Good afternoon and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 98th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we tell you a story about one game relevant to the current week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week we are looking back at Metal Gear. Originally released on July 13, 1987, along with the career of its creator, Hideo Kojima. I'm David Kasson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who frequently records this podcast while hiding in a box. He's my brother, Rob Kasson. Rob, you know we can see you, right? Well, that'd be pretty creepy, Dave. Does that mean you have cameras in my room? Nah. How do you know I'm in a box? Me? Per se, Google watches you all the time. How can we see Google, the Googles and the Facebooks? So they're just activating cameras that I don't know about. I'm sure someone does. I mean, aren't though, aren't there tons, probably millions of people around the world who put tape over their webcam on their laptop just in case? Oh, absolutely. I mean, all of my webcams have blockers on them. Wait, though. I mean, every time you talk about something, doesn't your computer start to show you ads for it? Undeniably. Yeah, see? They're watching and listening. Now, if you use DuckDuckGo... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, good one, Dave. <laughs> and with that, I think it's time that we get to our game of the week. No, it's not time. What, what, oh, have, you been, what have you been playing? Darn. I was hoping That's, I could get away from that. We've been recording for two <laughs> minutes, man. You're already rushing me into my story. What the hell? Uh, have you played anything this week? I don't know. Uh, Yeah, no, I it, it has definitely been a light week in gaming for me, Dave. Uh, mm -hmm. I played some Oxygen Not Included. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, and I might have done a little bit of Escape from Tarkov, but other than that, I haven't. Uh, and and RuneScape, I've been doing a little bit of uh, grinding in RuneScape. So, yeah, but yeah. that's that's really it. It's been a light week. I didn't even get. A, I don't even think we ended up doing Rocket League at all last week. So, I, at least I didn't. No, I did because it's the birthday celebration. I remember. Ah, well, what about you? Other than Rocket League, then what did you get to this week? Oxygen not included. And I 
think that's also it. I don't know if I played anything else. Admittedly, I, I can't recall anything else. It was also a light week for me. So, yeah. Light week. Uh, been watching TV, taking in some stories. But speaking of stories, Rob, you a fan, yeah. you a fan of Metal Gear? I've seen the series haven't really played too much of it only like one or two of them in the early days i don't know if it was one or two or two and three uh but i think they're a cool concept just i don't know i at the time wasn't really into them and there's not a whole lot of desire for me to go and play the series at the moment you know like four of them have gotten perfect scores from various magazines right I mean, that's fine dandy, Dave. The ones I play, which I think like were the ones for PlayStation 2, were really good games. I just haven't continued playing the series. That's or all. maybe it's that uh, uh, Hideo Kojima has made four games that have gotten perfect scores from uh, Famitsu, um, Famicom, or Famitsu, or whatever the magazine is. I, I can't remember right now. Well, I don't know, Dave. But still... From the beginning, Hideo Kojima was born a storyteller. He was born into a countryside town, and as a child, a young child, about four years old, his parents uh, moved the family to Osaka, which is a large city in Japan. And this was quite a drastic change, moving from the country to the city. So, you know, lifestyle change, habits changed, so on and so forth. Well, living in Osaka... His parents introduced a family tradition. Every night they would all watch a film together. Now, it, weird enough, unlike most of us that had a specific bedtime, the rule in Kojima's family was that you wouldn't go, you, you weren't allowed to go to bed until the film had finished. In particular, oh. isn't that kind of cool though? Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. In particular, Kojima's family was a huge fan of European cinema, European westerns, and horror films. Now, this admittedly fueled an already creative mind. As a child, Kojima recalls constantly making up stories about the things around him. He recalls being the kid that would laugh and, and cry or cry at random, and people wouldn't understand why. So, yeah, he's definitely that weird kid that we all talked about in school. Of course. He also noted in an interview that he would get lost in his stories. Now, a lot of the main roads in Japan have storm channels. We kind of, let's just call them ditches. We're probably more familiar with that term. And on more than one occasion, he would get lost in his stories and walk right into a ditch. Nice. That That's yeah. classic. Oh, yeah. He would yeah, have yeah. A, had a terrible time growing up in today's society. Probably would have been <laughs> hit by a car. Yeah. And we wouldn't have the great you know, nope. Kojima. Nope. So he got to flex his creativity in high school when a friend brought an eight millimeter film camera to school. And at that point, he and his friend started to make their own short movies. One year, for instance, uh, for the school's cultural festival, he wanted to make a zombie film to show and they wanted to charge their classmates to see it and then use the money to buy more films to watch. It's a pretty solid idea, admittedly. But it wasn't very successful. They didn't even sell enough tickets to buy one more film. So, you know, maybe filmmaking wasn't his thing. I don't know. It's just a rough start. 
when Kojima was 13, his father passed away. And to him, that was kind of a pivotal moment that really made him more desperately want to become a filmmaker. But it was also the resolve in making a, becoming a filmmaker that led him, led him inevitably to video games. As he put it in an interview, I desperately wanted to make films professionally. It was so difficult, though. There were no film schools where I, where I lived, and beyond that, the budgets for Japanese films at the time were very low, so I didn't think that I'd be able to make the kinds of films that I was interested in. That's pretty much how I came to work in games, I guess. So Hideo graduates high school, and he goes away to college, and he studies economics. And while I don't know why economics, I looked, I didn't find it. Maybe I didn't dig hard enough, but he studies economics, right? And while studying economics, he finally comes to this decision where he decides he's going to join the video game industry. Um, in an interview, he said he wrote novels in his spare time while studying. Even this pursuit was related to film as I wanted to win awards for my novels and thought that if I happened perhaps and if that happens, then perhaps I would get a chance to make a movie. But at this point, I had no friends that were interested in cinema and nobody left to encourage me in that career. And it was around that time that I saw Nintendo's Famicom for the first time. Immediately, it struck me that this might be another route into making film like experiences. So Kojima wanted to be a filmmaker, that much we know, and life just pushed him into video game development instead. In 1986, he applied to Konami because it was the only game developer listed on the Japanese stock exchange. At this point, Nintendo hadn't listed themselves as a public company on the Japanese stock exchange, right? Didn't he... realize that was a thing. He was hired into their MSX home computer division. Now, this is really funny to think about. This was really early in the, obviously 1986 is pretty early in the history of video games. You know, it was 94 that the, the Nintendo came out. And even still, that's only a couple years into when home consoles were really, really gaining popularity. I mean, admittedly, we had arcades and everything beforehand, but it's still it was it wasn't mainstream. We were getting there, you know, mm. this was so early that there wasn't even a word in the Japanese language for game designer at the time. And furthermore, working in the game industry was generally frowned upon socially. People, friends and family of Kojima, they couldn't understand why he went into why he went into video games. Uh, so as his career actually began early on, he told people that he worked for a financial firm. But it was here at Konami here, <laughs> but it was here at Konami that he found his people a uh, community of like-minded individuals who had arrived into the gaming industry through failure or people who simply couldn't find opportunities in other industries. The industries Kojima recalls were full of dropouts, musicians who had released a record that didn't sell well, struggling artists who wanted to make their own manga series and couldn't cut it, you know, directors who, who wanted to make films that couldn't get them off the ground or they weren't very popular. Uh, these were all the types of people that came together as video game developers in the early times in Kojima's words. 
His first assignment was as an assistant designer on a game called Penguin Adventure. Now, Rob, believe it or not, Penguin Adventure is a sequel to a game called Antarctic Adventure. So, you know, kind of a big deal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that first Atlantic Adventure, hoo-wee! Released in 1986, Penguin Adventure is an action-adventure platform game in which you play as Penta, a penguin who has to bring home a golden apple in order to cure Penguet, the penguin princess. Really creative. Penta, Penguet, love it. Love it. Sign me up. Now, admittedly, for its time, Penguin Adventure had some pretty advanced design to it. For example, the overworld had multiple paths between levels so you could play through the game differently and also the game had different endings which was pretty radical for the time not the first but not really well heard of either you know so they finished penguin adventure and konami puts hideo kojima on another project to create a game called lost world now this was Kind of the first project that Kojima had some more creative control over. Uh, Lost World, we don't know much about. It was canceled after about six months of work. And this was a, a huge blow to the team. I mean, let's be honest. If you worked on something for six months only to have it canceled and never see the light of day, that would be quite... That, that would suck. Let's just put it at that. I can't imagine that. Can you imagine that? Uh, it would be definitely pretty shitty, Dave. I would not be very happy about that. No, not at all. Shortly after the cancellation of Lost World, Kojima was approached by a senior associate, and he was he the senior associate asked him to take over the team that was asked to develop a war game that the company wanted to have made. Basically, the senior associate got got assigned something he didn't want to do, and so he pawned it off on Kojima. Okay. Now, war games were really popular at the time, and Konami was looking to make an action game that featured modern military combat. You know, and like I said, the front, the senior associate just didn't want to do it. So he asked Kojima to take the helm. Kojima is assigned to make this war game. But it's Hideo Kojima. He was very clear in that he didn't want to make a war game that was the same as everyone else. So, I mean, right from the get-go, he began to think about ways that he could subvert the genre. One inspiration came from the film The Great Escape, which popped into his head. Now, The Great Escape was a 1963 American war film. It starred Steve McQueen, James Garner, and Richard Attenborough. And it is as it sounds. It's a movie about escaping. In this case, prisoners who escaped from German Nazis. If you've never seen it, it's a classic. has one of the best motorcycle chase scenes in cinema history. It's a great movie. So Kojima takes the premise from The Great Escape, right? And he, he he applies it to this project. And so his first concept for a war game was one in which you were a prisoner of war and simply had to escape. 
But right from this point, Kojima was struggling to convince anyone that it was a winning concept. Now at this point, let's be honest about what he was up against, right? He was the youngest, despite being where he was at the helm, he was the youngest in this creative group. So, you know, automatically people aren't going to listen to the youngins as much as the elders, especially in Japanese culture. His first game, The Lost World, had been canceled. His only game, realistically, because because Penguin Adventure, he was assigned as an assistant, you know. So he has one title under his belt and it never saw the light of day. That's not a great track record. And frankly... The type of game that he wanted to make didn't even exist at the time. There was no escaping game. So he fought. He had to fight. He he was convinced. He knew this was it. And he had to fight to get this game made. At one point, he goes to the most senior member on the creative team and basically corners him and 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 lays out his vision, all his ideas. And that must have finally been the trigger because... The senior associate goes to the higher ups in the company and and he takes the idea. And so at that point, Hideo Kojima was asked to pitch his ideas for Metal Gear in front of everyone. Now, this was a turning point for his game because everyone agreed that at that point it was a revolutionary idea. And from that point on, Hideo Kojima had full support for his game. And this was for the best, you know. The MSX platform we've never really talked about before. Um, MSX was a PC platform. It was worldwide, but it wasn't very popular in in the United States. We mostly had DOS Windows. MSX was an extension of that, but it never really took over here. But it was pretty popular in Japan. But the computers at the time were really limited in their technology. Um, MSX was not a, a very powerful platform. For instance, you could only display four sprites horizontally at once. So if you ever look at games that were designed for an MSX, they're really, you'll never see like a five sprite tall item realistically because the MSX was not capable of doing it. And so realistically, even though Kojima wanted to be Kojima and do something completely different, he also knew that he wouldn't be able to make a good war game with the technological technological limitations, right? You could only have so many sprites and bullets on the screen, and therefore you could only make so great of a game. And so he went back to his idea with The Great Escape, where he knew he could build on that concept. But deep inside, he felt that there was something missing, because he felt that games or stories, let's be honest, he's a storyteller, he felt that games needed heroes and that no one would want to play a game in which the character just escapes. And so he thought, why not make the character sneak in? He wanted to make a stealth game. And with that notion, Metal Gear, as we know it, was born. Now, it's really funny to look back on the original designs for the game because they were they were, like I said, really, prim- you know, primitive due to limitations on the MSX. You know, graphics couldn't scroll on the machine, so each level was limited to a single screen. Since we know that it couldn't display more than four sprites horizontally, they also had to make sure that four sprites would never line up across the screen. 
So the original level designs that were sketched for the MSX were just they they're not what we they're they're not what we know of Metal Gear to be today. Still, the gameplay was similar though. Snake had to avoid being seen by guards or surveillance cameras, and when he was discovered, the concept, the design concept rather, was that Metal Gear was to become a puzzle game. Kojima's idea was that it would be like Pac-Man, where he would have to avoid the guards just like Pac-Man would have to avoid the ghosts, which kind of makes sense, you know? Yeah, it definitely does. Once Kojima had all these ideas in place, he turned to his knack for storytelling and he wrote the story around it. He locked everything in place, the team worked to create the game, and it was released for the, at the time, MSX2 platform in Japan on July 13th, 1987. The same version was localized and released in Europe later that year. Due to memory constraints, though, this version is displayed entirely in uppercase, has lots of misspellings, incorrect grammar, and has fewer radio calls and shorter messages which were elements used to tell the story. I'm not mistaken, and the numbers are in my head, there's 111 or 112 radio messages in the, in the original MSX version and 82 in the uh, localized version. So, In December of, 90, of 97, wow, we jumped 10 years, Rob. Jeez, Dave, that's a big jump. That's a huge jump. <clears throat> In December of 1987, a port of Metal Gear for Nintendo's Famicom was developed, or was released rather, it was developed, but it was also released in Japan. This port was localized to English and brought over to the North American NES in June of 1988. But let's talk about this port for a brief moment. According to Kojima, the NES port of the game was developed by another Konami division who was given the MSX source code without the consent of the original team. Because of reasons that we'll talk about, the game was notably changed during the porting process. It was changed so much so that Kojima has actually publicly disowned the NES version of the game and continues to do so. Jeez, that's pretty excessive it's pretty excessive now I've we're never gonna heard of that we'll talk about those changes in just a moment but uh let's take a moment really quick and talk about what metal gear is and for those of you that that don't know do you, which ones have you played you said the ps2 versions yeah i don't know if that's two or three or one two i mean i I've seen gameplay of some of the other ones, um, and obviously Smash. I've definitely seen Snake play, but um, I I played more Splinter Cell than I did Metal Gear, and even yeah. still, I just wasn't really into the whole stealth at the time. I was more running there and light shit up, and that was it. The one that you played, did it take place in a jungle? Uh, I feel like it took place inside of buildings, and that's all I remember. So probably was solid Metal Gear Solid series. Oh, you know what? It was definitely Metal Gear Solid series. Yes. Well, I mean, I know that for sure. I'm just trying to determine if it was because three, three takes three is Snake Eater takes place in a jungle. One and two are more of the buildings. That's why I was asking if you remember a jungle. So I do not remember a jungle whatsoever. So it was probably one or two. 
Probably one or two. Yep. So you have no experience with the pre-solid series. I do not know. Mm. So Metal Gear, if you don't know, is an overhead, in this case, overhead military action adventure game. In it, you play as Solid Snake, who is a special forces operative. And Solid Snake goes on a solo infiltration mission into the fortified state of Outer Heaven to destroy Metal Gear. Now, Metal Gear is a walking tank capable of launching nuclear missiles from anywhere in the world. While in Outer Heaven, you also take it upon yourself to rescue other agents who have been captured by the enemy. So basically, you sneak into the base, rescue all the people, and make it so the most dangerous weapon in the world never exists. While getting in, you have to avoid getting in the guard's line of sight, and there should definitely be no fighting of them, kind of, sort of. There can be plenty of fighting of them. Not all of them, any of them really are impossible to kill, but the game's designed so, like, you know, the guards turn in one direction and you run behind them type deal. Um, And the guards, run, you know, walk in patterns and you, you know, around a building and you walk around it so they can't see you. And I, I have this thought on this game, you know, you gain weapons and you gain equipment that make the game easier as it goes along and lets you get into other places. Like there's four cards and the cards open different doors. And at one point in order to get one of the key cards, you have to open, a, you know, the key cards found in the back of a truck, which is in the middle of a minefield. In order to traverse the minefield, you have to find a mine detector. So I think it's fair to say that you can't necessarily progress in the game until you find it. But Rob, that got me thinking, like, how is this different from a Metroidvania game? Like in a Metroidvania game, you have to gain you have to gain these attributes to progress and you have to backtrack. And I mean, Metal Gear is linear, but it has a little bit of that. So where do you draw the line? You know? Yeah, I think as we discussed in the last time we had this discussion, it's, it's really difficult to do. So I think that there can definitely be Metroidvanian aspects to many games, whether they're considered that or not, they may still have aspects of that series or genre rather. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of, where do you personally draw the line for yourself? True enough. Either way, you get all these weapons and equipment, you work your way through the base, you avoid enemies, you take out enemies, the choice is really yours. The story is told by the prisoners you rescue, and as I mentioned earlier, occasionally you get radio transmissions from other characters in the game. One's called Big Boss, he is your tutorial guy. Um, and, and so you get through it. I remember Metal Gear. I played Metal Gear. I was a fan of Metal Gear, but I more distinctly remember it from a, a VHS tape that I have, and it was called How to Score More Points in Nintendo Games, number one. And it was basically a VHS tape that had a bunch of games. It had uh, it had Metal Gear. It had Wizards and Warriors. What else did it have? There was a number of games on there, but it was hosted by Chip Rogers. He was a world champion at the time. I just Chip Rogers is a name that sticks out, you know, 
and it was a, a whole like hour long not even an hour long actually i can tell you exactly how long it is it was this just vhs tape that was all about how to beat these you know beat these score the best points and beat these video games and i watched it god knows how many times and metal gear was one of the games on it funny enough i i i i I remembered it and I looked it up and it's on YouTube. So I, in our show notes for the week, if you'd like to actually see how lame it's not really lame. It was the nineties. Cut us a break people. If you actually want to see the VHS uh, recording of how to score more points in Nintendo games, I found it on YouTube and I posted a link for you guys on memorycardlane.com. That was a good plug, right? That was a good plug indeed, Dave. I almost forgot the memorycardlane.com. But I did. Well, I'd be surprised considering you plug it every week. Yeah, true statement. I also posted a walkthrough of this game of the original MSX version. Uh, so if you want to watch the game, and I think that full play full playthrough, which I watched while I was doing research, is about an hour and forty minutes. Um, so that's how long it takes to play through this game. It's really funny at the play times of these games from when I was a kid because, like. I never beat these games and played them all the time. And then you go and look at them and someone can play it straight through in two hours. And you're like, what the frick? Like stupid, you know? Oh, absolutely. All right. So how to score more points in Nintendo games. Dave's fan. Let's go back to the NES port. Because a lot of our listeners come from the States. We are from the States. You know, people are going to have more familiarity with that i personally didn't even know that it was a completely different game which it's it's somewhat of a different game and that kojima is not a fan of it that was that's complete news to me um so interesting fact there as i said before it was developed by a completely different team no involvement from the original team one of the programmers on the port team has come out to say that the staff on the porting team was given a three-month deadline and they were ordered by Konami to make the port as different as possible. I don't know why. I mean, who who, who knows, you know? Yeah, I honestly couldn't tell you on that one. There's also really no doubt that hardware limitations changed the game too. For instance, one of the most notable changes in the game, spoiler alert, is the final boss in the MSX version. You have to take down metal gear, the little walking nuclear shooting. It doesn't shoot nuclear missiles, but you basically have to blow up metal gear itself to make sure it never can be used as a weapon. Now the NES on the other hand, couldn't handle all the everything going on. They didn't, they, they were never given the mappers to do advanced graphics by by konami or nintendo or wherever they would have come from at the time so they couldn't recreate what was going on in the msx version which is really funny considering that the msx is already limited in technology and it just meant that their hands were tied even more so with the nes port so in the nes version the Final fight with Metal Gear is replaced with just a supercomputer that's guarded by four soldiers. You kill the soldiers, you keep using C4 on the computer until it blows up. It's not nearly as cool of a fight. They also changed the level design. In the beginning of the MSX version, you infiltrate from water. And in the NES version, 
you parachute into the middle of a jungle and you have to fight through the jungle to work your way into the base. Basically, you fight through the jungle to hop into the back of trucks that go in and out of the base. So you sneak into the base in one of the trucks. But water infiltration, jungle infiltration, you know, those are the two different ones. Now, there are some other changes to the levels. Uh, you know, there's this guns in a different place. This boss was replaced with this one, but realistically those are the two most, the beginning and the end of the game are the two most significant changes between the two versions. And then furthermore, it was just a really poor translation. If you ever look up the list of gaming memes, we've talked about them before when games were translated poorly. One of our early, early episodes, like we talked about all our base are belong to us. Hmm. Some of those me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know some of our some of those meme lines actually come from Metal Metal Gear, the original Metal Gear Two ones that stick on a particular. I feel asleep. That's one of the lines before guard falls asleep. I don't feel sleepy. I feel asleep. And my favorite. Uh oh, the truck have started to move. So nice. I, I know. Uh so you know they they made an nes version it's not as good as the you know as the witch it. and like i said kojima is is not a fan not a fan but with that being said i think it's time to me to step off my pedestal people don't want to know what i think or necessarily want you know maybe you want to know what kojima thinks but rob we we around here we like to hear what what other people think about the game don't we I believe that we do, Dave. Yes. Uh, so I guess with that, it's time for me to talk about how the people thought. What did people think about the game, man? Well, Dave, today we want to know what our fellow gamers think. It's clear that you're a fan. And I am. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, of the games that I've seen and of what I have played, I'm a fan as well. But we kind of felt it would be appropriate to share with you some opinions on people who think it's not so great. All right. Well, let's so see what they that, have to say. Uh, yeah. Okay. We're going to do some bad reviews and we're going to begin with Spalding Gay on GOG.com who writes. So to start off, I'm a big fan of the Metal Gear series. Okay. Bad review. Starting off that way. Intrigued. I played through the entire series in release order a few years ago, and it was a memorable couple months of my life. With that out of the way, Metal Gear is by far the weakest game in the series. Yeah. It's an important piece of gaming history, essentially creating the style genre and a classic series. Unfortunately, it's not a very fun game. It is very much a game of the late 80s and has not aged well in many respects. There's very little plot or characters to be seen. Standard at the time, but it feels lacking in what the series would later be known for. The gameplay is full of annoying elements, such as hunting for key cards for doors that have no logical order to them, and none of the boss fights are anything memorable. You do get to fight a Metal Gear at the end, but... The fight is very gimmicky, and it's very easy to lose for very stupid reasons. That that door thing is so true. It, it was... I, I don't know many people who 
beat it without drawing maps or having like Nintendo power with a map in front of you because there was no logic to the where things were. And it, it's, it, yeah, there was no logic to where things were. That's completely true. So. Fair enough. I was unaware of that. So they continue on saying that it ties into the most unique and obnoxious mechanic into the game. The rank system. So apparently there are a bunch of hostages scattered around the game world and rescuing so many raises your rank, which in turn raises your health and ammo capacity. However, killing a hostage, whether on purpose or otherwise, instantly drops you a rank. And there are a finite number of hostages. It's possible to accidentally kill hostages. One boss is designed around this, which makes it worse and can drop your rank enough that you can start the Metal Gear battle and not have enough ammo to actually kill it, considering there are no ammo pickups during the fight and only one weapon actually damages it. Congrats, you have to find an earlier save or the game is unwinnable. They finish by saying that this is a game for people who are either really like older hard games or people who want to play the very first Metal Gear game. Anyone else would be better off giving it a pass, and maybe try to get a copy of Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, which is basically this game, but better in every way. It's... yeah. Maybe. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Dave. I mean, I, I having not played, or at least recalling the original one, uh... You know, I, I guess you're the better one to say. I mean, was it really uh, the ranking system really that difficult? Did you ever put yourself in a bad situation? No, I never put myself in a bad situation, but I never really got anywhere in this game until I watched the video, which kind of fills in the blanks for that. Oh, so you yourself never killed hostages because you never got to them. Well, there's that too. So. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. Well, Dave, next up we have Mentifisto on Moby Games, who calls Metal Gear an interesting origin of the Metal Gear series. He writes that in this game, you can see many elements from the more popular Metal Gear Solid, a nearly identical list of weapons, similar but less verbose storyline, and items, as in the ever-present SIGs. <laughs> yes, SIGs. You gotta have them. I mean, hey, snake must smoke. Yes, he must. Smoke is how you hide. However, it is slightly repetitive and at times frustrating. I'd even argue it's harder than its third installment due to its basic strategies. The storyline, as mentioned, is very minimized. The characters responding to codec frequencies merely repeat themselves, whereas in Metal Gear Solid, the storyline is very much in the forefront with vast backgrounds created for most characters in the game that parallel real-life political issues, Metal Gear is certainly a contrast to that, even for games as old. Yeah, I mean, the technology was limiting at the time. I... Metal Gear Solid is special. Metal Gear Solid deserves an episode in itself, so we're not going to go into it too much, but it's a, it's a hard comparison. This is, again... When we have people who try to look at it through a modern lens, you know, no, it's not Metal Gear Solid at all, but it is Metal Gear 
and you can see where it started. And if you look at the whole series, you can see how things evolved from here to there, which is interesting all in itself. So what else we have? Well, Dave, next up, we have user Adzukin on Moby Games, who writes that Metal Gear on the NES has suffered the strange fate of a tarnished reputation. It was once unquestionably considered a classic, and while to some it still is, it's simply not held up in the same light. Why is it not held up in the same light? Well, Dave, according to Adskin, Metal Gear attempts to distinguish itself from other military action games by having a focus on stealth. Guards only become hostile if you pass in front of their field of vision, giving you a chance to sneak up on them. To emphasize this, you start the game off without a gun and have to reach the base with nothing but your wits and your fists. What Metal Gear achieves is an adventure that feels less like an assault and more like an infiltration which was a pretty novel approach at the time. It largely works, giving a feeling of spy fiction without sacrificing the fun and simplicity of the era's action games. Edzikin continues saying that what Medical Gear does well is pacing. The NES version includes a much longer introduction that has you traversing a short stretch of jungle before reaching the first base, which gives ample time to get acquainted with the game's stealth mechanics. Items are provided at a steady pace, giving a nice feeling of forward momentum as you wander the base. With a few of the game's more obtuse sections, there is likely to be a great deal of wandering in circles, but I found these moments easily overcome if I stepped back and thought about it for a moment. Usually, the solution was to double back to some door that I wasn't able to pass when I didn't have the proper key. While Metal Gear sucked me in and kept me entertained from start to finish, that's largely in spite of a myriad of absolutely horrendous design choices. Man, he didn't hold back, did he? No, he did not. To begin with, Edzikin says Metal Gear is one hell of an ugly game. The sprite work isn't bad, but too much detail was attempted on each individual character, and the game's palette just isn't up to the task of showing it effectively. Enemies look like walking messes, and... I couldn't even tell what a few of them were supposed to be doing. From a gameplay standpoint, everything is incredibly slapdash. The placement of enemies is entirely without thought. Depending on where you enter a new screen, there's a chance that either a guard or a camera will be looking directly at you, immediately triggering an alarm. Before you get the pistol, sneaking up behind guards is a necessary strategy. But once you have the pistol, it can basically be thrown out the window. The boss battles featured in the game are, with a few exceptions, extremely mediocre. It's not just the fact that they're poorly designed, though some certainly are. Many of them can only be hurt with a significant amount of damage taken from one particular weapon. But they show no indication of taking damage, making it impossible to tell whether the weapon you're using is having any effect. Is it too much to ask for them to flash when they're hurt like they do in other games? I guess it was. It might have just been on purpose. Who knows, Dave? I don't know. They continue by saying, in a lot of ways, Metal Gear is a bit of a mess, but it never got under my skin enough to ruin my fun. 
They finish with, I played the MSX2 version immediately after completing the NES port. And as far as for how they compare, I definitely think the NES version is worse. But not significantly. The MSX2 version feels a lot tighter in comparison to the NES, but many of the problems that I had with the NES version were present there first. The biggest letdown is that the actual Metal Gear itself isn't a boss within the NES version, and what's in its place is an extremely poor substitute. The whole thing feels like a rushed port forced to fit on the NES's less capable hardware. But even then, with enough work, a more faithful transition should have been possible. Still, I'd argue that everything that made Metal Gear worth playing survived on the NES, and a few cut corners is no reason to disown the game. I, I, no. Let's I think be that honest. was a, I think that was a pretty good, pretty hard knock there right at the end there though. Yeah, well, let's. People are not disowning the game. Kojima might be disowning the game, but Kojima's weird. We know that about him. I mean, let's be honest about the game itself. It was a commercial success. It was a top 20 selling MSX game in Japan for five months, topped out at number three in that period. And the NES version was big big as well. It sold a million copies, which for that time period is amazing. And... We know that at one point it was the second best selling game in the United States, just below Super Mario Brothers 2. Uh, beat out a lot of good games for that. And it stayed as a top 10 selling title for, I think, the entirety of 1989, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. So it was, it was, it was, it was awesome. Uh, it was awesome. It spawned two sequels Snake's Revenge and Metal Gear Solid 2 or Metal Gear Solid 2. See, even I'm going to say it. How about where Metal Gear Solid came from? Metal Gear 2, Solid Snake. Now, Snake's Revenge was another weird deal where the team that did Metal Gear and Kojima, for that matter, had no involvement in. Um, Konami decided to make a sequel to their weird port, I guess is the way to look at it. But one of the developers had respect for Hideo Kojima and brought it to his attention. And he asked him to make a true sequel to the game, which Kojima then did in Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. And of course, Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake is the basis for Metal Gear Solid. That series, which, as I said in the beginning, has a lot of really well-rated games. It's honestly contains some of the highest rated video games of all time um, period. And frankly, I'd like to leave it at that because I've got a metal gear solid episode on the schedule for sometime next year. And I think we should talk about it there. All things aside, cause it's going to be a long time. Metal gear solid is one of the most influential video games of all time. In fact, there are people that would argue that it's the gateway between video games then and what we know as a modern video game it's a very important game in history so you're saying metal gear or solid metal gear solid metal gear solid Ah, yeah metal gear solid has been called by some as the the world the first modern video game so it was it was a game 
I guess was, when you put it that way, I was going to say, well, wouldn't you really have to attribute it to this? Because if it weren't for Metal Gear, then you wouldn't have Metal Gear Solid. But... That's very true. But it was mm. what but it was what they did in Metal Gear Solid that makes it so special. It was it was the techniques. It was one of the first like really cinematic video games in that era. Uh, the way it told story, developed characters, um, it, it laid the groundwork for a lot of what we know today in, in the single player, you know, video game genre, the, the lengths that it went to tell the story and how it presented it. There weren't games that did that at the time. And so, like I said, it's considered the bridge by some people to, you know, from, from one era to the other in terms of video game design, it was, it was a pioneer. It, It really, it may not, it may not have re- like reinvented anything, but it definitely like laid the standard for God games. We still, I mean, Metal Gear Solid is a phenomenal game. We're still chasing that dragon. I am going to lie. So um, Metal Gear back here in the late eighties though, did was, was important too. It, it popularized the stealth genre. It was admittedly the first mainstream stealth game. And it essentially laid the groundwork for all stealth games that have come after it. There's hardly any person who develops games in the stealth genre that doesn't credit Metal Gear as an inspiration. It, you know, we always talk about, not always, but we talk about some games that it's like, would this exist if this game wasn't there? And it's hard, it's hard to know, but there can always be an argument to be made what would the stealth genre look like if we never started here? No, that's absolutely fair. And then furthermore, Metal Gear as a series is just, it's a like literally it's Konami's version of a money money printer. As of 2019, the franchise had grossed about $2.5 billion with a B in worldwide sales. So it's, it's no slouch. Uh, no, I, I don't think that it is, Dave. Hey, Rob, one little fun thing that I it just popped into my head uh, that I meant to plug somewhere else. The game used passcodes to... It used passcodes to save your place in there. And in the Japanese and North American version, the ports, if you type in the passcode, fuck me, with all the rest of the character spaces being ones... You get transported to the final battle with no equipment whatsoever. <laughs> okay, that's actually hilarious. <laughs> so, oh my god, it was taken out of later versions because you know Nintendo and swearing. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good one. So, you know, we'll we'll have other opportunities with you know given that we'll do Metal Gear Solid to talk about Hideo Kojima but let's be honest you know in terms of his legacy he's a still a stupidly influential game designer you know he's made some games that not many people know about a couple weeks ago I had mentioned an influential game called Snatcher and I didn't really want to get into it then so I just flossed over oh I think it's a cyberpunk game it is a cyberpunk game but it's one made by Hideo Kojima, so it's got some importance there. Not his most well-known game or popular one, but it's a Kojima game, and Snatcher has its own significance in history as a Kojima game. Uh, I think a year after he made uh, Snatcher, that would have been in the early 90s, I think it was 94, he made Police Knots. 
He's also made the Zone of Ender series, which is a space combat, like a mech. You're a mech in space. It's a space mech combat series. And, of course, he has developed the entire Metal Gear series. There's so many games in that series now. I mean, the main series has five. Metal Gear Solid Five, The Phantom Pain. But we have others aside from that, like Metal Gear... What was it? Rising Revengeance, Metal Gear Survive, which was the online one. There's a bunch of other oddities in the series that tell other stories. So there's a lot of games in it. And he he worked for Konami until 2015, um, you know, working on the Metal Gear series. About that time, he was working on PT, which is which was a proposed remake of the Silent Hill series. And his relationship with Konami went sour. So in 2015, he left Konami and Kojima Productions became independent, not part of Konami anymore. And in 2019, he made Death Stranding, which is that weird apocalyptic baby game. And they're still doing stuff with Death Stranding. So he's a weird dude. Right? That he is, Dave. Definitely a weird dude. Now, we can spend hours talking about him, honestly. We can spend an, uh, probably make an episode about any given game on this list. I'm just going to leave everything else on those topics for another time. I just wanted to give you all a, a primer on Hideo Kojima because he is he's a, he's a very influential game designer. I think IGN did a list of their like top 100 game designers, and he's five, six. He's, he's way up there for the way he influences um, the gaming industry. Funny enough, though, he influenced the world in a different way. He was in the news recently, Rob. Uh, Yeah, Dave, I remember you telling me about that. For those of you that missed it, uh, unfortunately, last week, the former prime minister of Japan was assassinated. And haphazardly, a few news outlets around the world mistakenly used Hideo Kojima's picture as the assassin instead of the actual assassin. So, whoops. Yeah, I'm still wondering how that happened. I mean, I know mistakes happen, but I just, like, why was there a picture of Hideo? Like, just... I don't know the answer to that, man. I don't know the answer to that. Um... See, you wonder if there was supposed to be another story about him or something, or, you know, just they got the photo swapped or what it was, but, like, you know, just reading the newspaper and you see a picture of yourself and you're like, Oh shit. I don't know. If you look online, you can find out where it started and spread to, and then it got uh, taken down and some apologies were issued and Kojima productions tweeted that they're considering legal action. So who knows, who knows, who knows? So I don't know, Dave, but you know, the, the internet is full of all sorts of things. And you can find lots of information, both good and bad. We try to contribute to the good and share facts with you uh, by posting all of our research on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Also on memorycardlane.com, you can find our biographies. You can find a calendar of our upcoming episodes. You can find all of our old episodes for that matter. You can find links to our Discord if you want to come say hi to us. You can find our social media. I'm on Twitter and elsewhere as David is wrong. Um, Rob, what's your social media plug these days? I am on twitch.tv forward slash fat boy 
with an I rips with a Z. Fat boy rips. Mm. Well, that is our story about Metal Gear and Hideo Kojima. Each week, we like to tell you a story. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the world, what new about the game, rather, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. As part of our commitment to you, we acknowledge that we learn things. When you teach, you learn. It's honest to God, one of my favorite reasons why I do this podcast. I learn new things every single week. And as part of that notion, we like to go around the round table, which is the two of us, and uh, talk about our favorite takeaways. Uh, so, Rob, what's what, what was the one thing, what's your takeaway for today? Well, Dave, I'd have to say that uh, you, you kind of hit me right at the end there with that passcode. Oh, you like fuck me, huh? I, I think that's a hilarious thing to put in there. And then I it's just whoever found that for the first time was like, hey, I'm going to try this for fun. And then was just like, wow, they actually they, they actually obliged. Like, can you just imagine like that's like going? I mean, granted, I know I have a lot of friends who have faced Ganon with three hearts and the broken sword and all that crazy fun stuff. But like for those of us that aren't hardcore gamers like those. Uh, that's insane. Uh, I couldn't imagine just walking into the final boss fight with like nothing but the clothes on my back. Very that would true. be pretty terrifying. So um, <laughs> that that's definitely. I mean, you asked for it, you get fucked. That's it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. But uh, I also think that uh, other than that, if it weren't for that fact, um, I mean, I just think it's kind of awesome that uh metal i didn't realize that metal gear was like the first to kind of start the series of that like i said i splinter cell was always more prevalent in that for me and then metal gear solid so i just i guess i didn't realize that uh way back in 1987 metal gear was starting all of this yep so yeah. it's, it's just pretty cool to know that it's been around for that long and that the series that granted when I was young, I didn't care much for. But uh, as I've grown older, games like uh, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon has gotten me more into the stealth genre. So, um, you know, it's it's cool to know that here's a franchise that got started back as late as or as early on as 1987, which, you know, 25 years or 35 years. 35 years, 35 years crazy huh that it is dave so what about yourself what's your uh takeaway for today i i didn't know that the version i grew up on was a sham uh, i mean for millions of us that played the nes port metal that that was our version of metal gear parachuting here's another silly little thing uh, the start of the game you parachute it shows three people parachuting in like from the plane like it starts out with the, the picture and you see three parachutes you know I don't know who the other two people are. No one does. No, no two people land. There's never any talk about why three people parachuted or anything like that. Just the first screen shows three parachutes over the, over the jungle. And then you're the only person who lands and it's never spoke of again, but. Oh, that's an interesting little factoid. Right. I know. Right. But with that being said, I, that's it to me. Parachuting into the jungle, getting in the back of a truck, you know, sneaking into this base, that's that's Metal Gear for me. And 
it's not Kojima's Metal Gear. He didn't make it. He doesn't like it. He's publicly decried it. I had I had no clue that the Metal Gear for a whole North American generation was was not the Metal Gear, you know? That, that not not our Metal Gear at least. So That is pretty mind-boggling. But yeah. Well, Rob, anything, any, any questions or anything that you know that I don't about Metal Gear? Uh, I don't believe there's anything that I know that you don't. Uh, mm. you, you, you've had much more experience with the game. I just, mm-hmm. like you said, I know many of the funny memes and things that come from the game. It's, you know, make you laugh and stuff like that. And hear the annoying voices from your companions and, yep. you know, it's all that fun stuff, but, uh. I, I, I don't know. I don't think there's anything more about the game for me. So unless you have something more. Nope. Anything you'd like to add before I take it out of here? Well, Dave, as always, I would just like to take a quick moment to say thank you to everyone for listening. We hope that you enjoy listening to us week after week. And if you don't, then we don't know why you're here, but we're thankful that you are anyway. So thank you. Yes. Thank you indeed. Well, with that being said, let's look forward to next week. Rob, it's fair to say that typically Nintendo prints money, right? I would say that's a pretty fair assessment, Dave. There's not very many things that Nintendo has done that I can think have just flopped. But there has been a couple, hasn't there? I mean, I definitely agree that there have been some things that have flopped. And next week, we're going to look at one of said flops. We're going to look at actually their lowest selling console of all time. Ah, yeah. Okay. Easy one. Yeah, an easy one, right? Oh, yeah. If you don't know, we're going to look at the Virtual Boy next week, which was a tabletop console developed by Nintendo in 1995. It's, like I said, Nintendo's lowest selling console. Uh, That's it. We're going to learn all about the Virtual Boy. So join us again next week as we go virtual on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Scooby-doo-bop-bop-bop-bop-doo-ba-da-ba.